Sorry, we were complaining about people and their lack of social distancing. Um, yes. I was saying that I saw a friend just now, a story in Georgia at a club smoking hookah. And I was like, not the Jesus Christ. Hey, spiking Georgia <laughs> during a, uh, what is it called? Respiratory <laughs> pandemic. It's a respiratory <laughs> pandemic. This motherfucker is using a hookah pipe. Get at out a here. club. Oh my god! In Georgia, and I was like, you know what? I just, I it's people aren't worth it to me. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, dude! I see so many people at fucking clubs and restaurants in Florida, especially like every person I follow in Florida is out and about living their life like nothing's up. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking this idea of so many people, like, if you look at their stories, you would think absolutely nothing is different. Nothing is different. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the that's the thing, right? The economy keeps going if the soldiers keep soldiering on. Like, it's so... Until... Here's the thing. Until enough die, and then they're like, where is everybody? And you're like, oh. I just... Uh, I literally just sent my friend... Um, this meme I saw that said, you have the choice between college football and Applebee's, and you chose Applebee's three months ago. And it was like, yeah, basically, you you all made your choice months ago. And so yeah. the fact that you're complaining about anything now also makes no sense. America is full of people who want their cake and eat it too. And telling them that you simply cannot doesn't make sense to them. I still think it's funny that motherfuckers think we're going to have football in the spring or even next fall. Keep yeah. on doing like y'all doing and see what next fall is going to be like. It's going to be the exact <laughs> yeah. same thing. Again, people were like, oh, so no Halloween? No. no. Have you seen anything worse Halloween? You get no treats. <laughs> no treats. No Christmas. Motherfuckers are, are bringing in the New Year's at home. <sighs> I mean, I will at least. I'm just, I'm so done. And then also there's, um, we were looking at the news and they were talking about some doctor was like, look, testing isn't even the answer. You have to do both. You have to stay home and increase testing. Testing isn't a one-shot solution. A vaccine isn't a one-shot solution because you have to start off with targeted areas and then spread out. But if everyone just keeps cross mixing everything, then it's no good. Uh, I saw a video of how Tyler Perry opened up his production studio during COVID. Oh, he basically God. had like, um, it's it's phenomenal. Like he worked with all these medical experts. He called what he called, it's like camp quarantine. Every He flies in everyone on private jets so they don't have to take uh, commercial airlines. They come in, they immediately test. He found two people who were positive right off the bat, kicked them off the lot before they can spread it. Everyone is sequestered for the entire time. They test every two to three days and they were able to, finish i think production on the show and now they're moving on to the next one they're just like powerhouse in these and i'm just like dude like at least you're being smart about it like it's just it, it's cool to see like what happens when people can't like think this is a workaround this is a solvable problem if people just try them. that's what's weird to me i'm not saying don't ever see people i'm saying the snapchats that i see don't have a mask, not narrow person. That's the thing. <laughs> They're like, we want to go out, but we're not going to wear a mask. It's like, well, you can do one if you do the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wear a mask, be six feet apart. It's the easiest thing you can do. And you can still see people. And people are like, no. <laughs> when the spawn is When the spawn meets What up, booze? And welcome to Bruh Meets World. When this Bruh Meets World. Your Boy Meets World Fancast. <laughs> this is episode 88. I am Siege. And I am Tony Coitus. It has been a while since it's been just you and I. <laughs> I know. We've had a lot of good guys. I knew this was going to happen. I knew season four was going to attract the crowd. I knew people would be attracted. It's, it's the best of the best of Boy Meets World. I, you know, it does honestly, not surprise me at all. I'm going to say, looking at what we've done so far, at least, I was like, yeah, we're getting a lot of complexity, a lot of uh, class issues, a lot of Eric storylines, a lot of um, what education means and the value of it. I think this is when 
the wheels really, really started to kick into gear. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to applaud you and say that season four, is definitely the best so far. It just feels like they're trying to do more with their platform. And I just appreciate it. I, I know that like episode by episode, we've kind of been a little nitpicky about like the overall result and what it means fucking 30 years after it aired or whatever. But um, I mean, if anything, we can both probably admit that they're putting more effort into the season than they were season three and two and I mean, yeah. one. I mean, as far as just the complexities that they're trying to introduce to the storyline, I mean, it's so much more than, you know, so-and-so can't get a date with so-and-so. Like, it feels like everything means more now. Everything means more. That's a very good way of putting that. Um, speaking of which, <laughs> this episode, it's really funny because... In the times that we're dealing with, the idea that Eric, a white boy, would, who has a family I'm sorry. Business. I'm sorry. <laughs> Eric's white? <laughs> white. 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 <laughs> boy. Who has a family business would leave that job and then go into law enforcement. He calls it law enforcement, which I find fascinating. Yes. And then has like his family responds as if he's enlisted into the military. It's very an interesting understanding to see how all of these things are received. Also, I had recently watched the movie Richard Jewell, which is also oh. about uh, a security guard who kind of has delusions of grandeur, but also does like this very heroic thing and is then sacrificed oh. on the... Would you rec... Would you recommend the movie? I saw the trailer and wasn't interested. I think it's worth a watch. Do I think it's like anything Oscar worthy? No, not at all. But we really had fun. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. So you got to take it where you can with that. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> After Gran Torino? All right. <laughs> yeah, but oh, I have no. to say it did give like a more nuanced look to law enforcement. And you have this idea of someone who's not who doesn't have the power that he wants trying to constantly meet with the people who do have the power, but don't live up to his ethical, not even his ethical standards, but like his idealized version of that position. I don't know. We're like, we're getting off track. But point being is I definitely think that it was relevant to this watching of Eric being a security guard and yeah. how that works in. I definitely want to dive into all of that more. Should we just uh, get into the tell me about it? Yeah, hit me with the tell me about it. <clears throat> tell me about it. Tell me all about Eric. Will he pass the SATs or is his future in security? I am so, you clearly thought this one out. I'm very, very proud. Uh, love it. <laughs> I try. Guys, I challenge you to create a Billy Joel style theme song for every episode of Boy Meets World. Like send it in, make it better. I know I'm doing the bare minimum here. It's all I got. This is Come season four, episode 20, Security Guy. Eric's schemes are bankrupting the store, but Alan is reluctant to fire him. So Amy does. Consequently, Eric does decides to leave home and take a job as a security guard. However, Mr. Feeney knows that Eric's only looking for an easy way out and tries to convince him to give the SATs and college another try. In a B storyline, Corey and Topanga try to get Sean to join Mr. Feeney's SAT prep course. So even though that's what the summary was given, I disagree with a lot was was just tell, said. Tell me what you think, Siege. I want to know. <laughs> because one thing that I saw, which I thought was very interesting, is mm. Alan does fire Eric. It's yep. He says, Eric, you are fired. And then when Amy does it, like this the summary just said it, and then Eric keeps coming back to the fact that Amy has said it. And it's like, wait a minute, why is it that Amy was the one who had to be like, no? seriously you're fired and then because she's the one who says it with enforcement everyone's like oh amy fired eric and it's like no alan was literally the first person to say the words you're fired don't come in and it's only amy holding them their feet to the fire that makes it have any value and because of that she's painted as the villainous one 
I just, you know how I feel about Amy and I definitely didn't like the framing of this. It's so interesting because I, I, if I had to come up with an explanation as to why Amy's firing means more than Alan, it's because she's the one who actually bought the store. Yeah, exactly. That's the only thing I could think of because it's... This whole thing about Eric getting fired is really interesting to me because I, as far as I understood from the episode in which they bought the store, Eric was a part owner of this store. So is he fired from just being an employee? Is he still have ownership of it? Is this the income that's coming in that helps him get an apartment later on in college? Like I'm trying to put the pieces together here as to like how separate he is from this business once they fire him. Cause I didn't think they could fire him because he oh, was, I absolutely wrote that down. And I was like, can you fire a part owner? <laughs> like, like you admitted that you use part of his college fund to even buy it. So I had some complications with that, but let's say that Amy is in fact CEO head honcho. She is the board. And you can be fired from your own company if the board says you are removed. Completely a possible possibility. As you said, maybe he has, like, he still gets income passively, but he just can't work there. Yada, yada, yada. Who knows? But the point is, Alan, who no matter what is store manager, said, you cannot come into work anymore. You are fired. He completely ignores that. And then when Amy says it, he villainizes his mother to other people. He pits his father against his mother. And anytime Amy speaks, he goes, I don't work for you. I work for him. So at what point, like, it's all over the place, I feel, narratively, but it's very, very dismissive of Amy's power as a mother, as the boss, and as a co-parent. Can I say, can I give another idea of what I think went down? I think that Alan fired Eric because even if Eric is part owner, his ownership comes from a college fund. Again, he did not attribute to that they were going to (laughs) give to him. So I'm actually going to correct myself and saying he's not an owner. He was an (laughs) owner by generosity of the actual owners. But like this idea that Alan has not been able to say no to his son. He's not been able to like pull in the reins of Eric. He hasn't disciplined him the same way he disciplines Corey and Morgan. Um, I think Amy's thing was like, Hey, I'm not trying to be your fucking friend, buddy. I'm letting you know, I don't need you messing up my money. Exactly. You know, I think there are a few things that you brought up that I think are really important which probably shapes how I interpreted this episode because A, I am the firstborn. Um, ah. So I have a different, I, I actually had an opposite interaction as the firstborn than they describe Eric. They were like, we protected Eric because he was the firstborn. Whereas in many families of color, the firstborn is not protected. They are put upon. They are like, you know, they are the sacrificed to the gods, so to speak. And then the other children get um, an easier upbringing. So as a firstborn who was not pampered or coddled in any way, it, it was different and weird to see them admit that, hey, we kind of always wanted to really keep him in this protective bubble because he was our first. And we never, like the other two, we were like, oh, it's, you know, it's possible to procreate. We get it. But the first one was our our treasure. That was really interesting. But also as someone who recently became a puppy parent and is definitely the dis- disciplinarian in the household, it's like, no, I I am the enforcer and I don't want to be your friend. Why? Because I'm looking in the long run, I am looking for your well-being as a existing creature on this planet. And if I need to be the villain for that, so be it. But I also don't think that I should have to be the villain if my whole purpose is, hey, 
Don't do that for your own safety. A hundred percent. Okay. So I want to talk about two things. First of all, this whole the idea that like you are the villain or like Amy is the villain because she is the one who is enforcing the disciplinary. I thought it was really interesting that Alan in this episode himself was the one who came to the realization of like, actually, I think Amy's right. I think I'm the problem to the point where he even apologizes to Eric for being like, hey, I coddled you, bro. I made it so much easier for you and you are not ready for the world. Or at least I'm afraid of that. And I feel like that's on me. Um, This whole idea of the only child, the first child, I'm an only child. So I, I really can't compare it to anything. But your experience of you know, I feel like I went through hell, whereas my siblings probably didn't as much. Echoes what I feel like a lot of my friends who are the oldest feel. I feel like your experience is more of the general experience. And I wonder, and again, because my circle is more (laughs) colored than ever now, um, I wonder if it's a racial thing. I wonder if white white older children get that whole like, oh, you... I, a different treatment, a different treatment, not having to go through the ringer, so say. Um, well, I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm only to say, I, I was quick to say uh, families of color, but I think part of that has to do with maybe class or privilege. You know, sure. there is a financial aspect of it. And when you come from a single family household or an immigrant household or just any, like a lot of families of color, even when they're well off, they were raised, their parents were raised under circumstances that made them meet the world at an earlier age. So they put that on their children. And I think that the difference is when you don't worry about the outside world in terms of survival, you raise your children kind of like on a pedestal, especially the first one. It's it's this crown jewel more so than it is this thing that you also have to like teach the dangers totally. of the world. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, that's 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 very interesting. I would love for our guests to tell us if you were if you are li- not our guests, our listeners, if you are listening to us and you are the oldest sibling, I would love for you to uh, you know reach out to us however way and let us know if your experience was more like sieges or more like Eric's. Were you coddled or were you made the example of? Because I feel like this is a, a pretty interesting dynamic to dissect as far as just like the way class and race goes. Absolutely, because I think, as you said, most first barns that I know, like we will all say that, you know, you mature quicker, you butt heads with your parents. There's so many things that you have to struggle and fight for. And then by the time the second child comes along, parents are like, man, I don't give a fuck. Is he still breathing? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was watching um, a movie called Sing Street um, recently, which I highly recommend. Um, but one of the scenes is this older brother and he's confronting his younger brother. And he's like, dude, you have been swimming in my wake for years. You don't even know the hell I had to go through that you will never experience because I went through it all first. And I just, again, as an only child, I always think sibling dynamics are so interesting because I don't understand them. And I just thought this was a really funny one to stumble across. It's also really funny. Um, I don't want to go too far, but my my boyfriend, he's also an only child. And it is weird to see um, how only children respond to these kind of family dynamics because you don't have that social understanding of having to work hard for something and not benefit from the fruits of those labor. Mm. Because like I worked hard but i get nothing out of it but because i worked hard the next one comes up and it's easier for them and there's both a joy and a resentment in that it's like great my parents have learned they're more open-minded but also at the same time you get to exist in a world where this was never even a discussion in our fight um so to speak i i don't know if i mentioned this before but when i was younger my mom is very religious and I like bought an Aaliyah CD with my own money (laughs) and my mom threw it out because she was like no secular music cut to years later, my sister 
same age. And my mom's like, I think she wants like Chris Brown tickets. Do you think like this row or that row? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I yes. couldn't own a CD that I bought, but you're buying her with your own money tickets to a concert to attend in person? What is this? <laughs> and it's just like, that's, that's how my, my, experience but i think that it is really important that this particular episode eric is seen to be the one who was given the most slack and Corey and morgan are actually the ones who they are harder on and i think what's interesting is maybe they are harder because they've seen how eric turned out and they're like yo turns out we got to put our foot down earlier you know what i mean <laughs> What do you think about this idea that, like, his parents don't think he's smart or don't think he's intelligent or capable enough to make it? Like, it feels to me that, like, they think that Corey and Morgan are fine, but they worry about Eric. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that. Well, it goes back. I think it's funny because the last few episodes we talked about Eric and the idea that Eric is smart, but in a non-conventional way. And I feel that this is another testament of his parents not really knowing him um, and understanding that he's highly intelligent. He just has different stimuluses or different rewards. The idea that the first words out of uh, Feeney's mouth this episode is Eric is lazy is really, really important because it goes to show that he's capable. He's just not pushed. And I thought that that was really important. I have to say, if I were Eric, I like there's two sides of this. Feeney tells the Matthews that he believes Eric is intelligent. So that carries weight. And I just wonder as Eric, is it like, yeah, I'm appreciative that Eric, like Feeney vouched for me, but I'm also a little upset that my parents needed Feeney to confirm that I was intelligent. That's what I would think anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like because Feeney is seen so much as a source of, um, like, he is the barometer of, like, all knowledge as far as his family's concerned. Like, you know? Um, So his cosign of Eric's intelligent, I don't know if you saw the analog, but Eric says to Feeney, your endorsement, you thinking that I'm intelligent is worth a thousand SAT points. And that, that carries weight. And I think that it isn't really insulting to him. It's more so acknowledgement to him. It means that he is being seen in ways that his parents don't see him. I really want to talk about this idea about like, how the decisions you make immediately after high school affect your future. Because that is one of the things that I feel like this show has been kind of pushing this whole year with Eric. In this episode specifically, it was really shocking. Not shocking. It was interesting to see how the Matthews responded to him becoming a security guard, him finding another job. And I want to get your, your thoughts on that. Yes, I think I love it because you keep hitting me with all the things that I want to talk about. So this is great, which is you have Eric comes in. And I will say that my first response was Eric's a little in the right here. He went out and he got a job. He did the thing that you guys told him he needed to do. And that's not laziness. That's initiative. Eric very much could have whined or try to do one of his get-rich-quick schemes or anything. But instead, he gets a job at a secure, as a security guard. Now, I do think it says a lot that the writers of this show and the Matthews and even Feeney were like, this is a cop-out position. Pun intended. It's like you, you instantly get this idea of uh, security and career. You instantly get this idea of authority. but you haven't earned either of those things. And yeah. I think that's where they were like, this isn't real. You took the easy route instead of, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they weren't completely shitting on <laughs> security guards. 
it, it, to me, it was just interesting because I, I can understand both. I can understand this idea that like, hey, Eric has a lot of potential. Yeah, he found the job he likes, but it's just the job he likes. It's not one that he's best suited for. It's not one that he worked for. He just found the first job he could get. Um, and so I can understand the Matthews feeling like, hey, he really didn't apply himself the way he should have with this career. And this could be toxic, you know, a, a toxic habit for him to build throughout his life. From Eric's perspective, he's still paying bills, right? Like he's getting a paycheck. I don't know. I Again, I feel like this is a, one of those class issues because I feel like at a certain class, the fact that you are bringing in a paycheck is enough. But at a different class, you bringing in a paycheck that isn't respectable isn't enough. And that I was just like, wow, this is such like a great like, um, like, like, like peep behind the curtain of what it's like in upper middle class life. Absolutely. I love that you're saying these things because it's so interesting to look. And as a person of color and as someone who, you know, we're during a pandemic, I was on job hunt, all of these things you are worried about being able to stand sufficiently. Like, I don't know a single person of color who, whose parents would not be happy that they found a way to pick up the slack after getting fired, that you lost your job. That was a inherited job. You went out and you found a new one. That is a whole other lesson of responsibility. But what the Matthews are saying is, no, you went from one easy handout to the next and cool. you didn't challenge yourself in any way, shape or form. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, I thought he went out, he applied, he got it. But what you're saying is that still in itself was, again, a cop out for Eric. It was taking something that he knew he would get that would give him a sense of power and a paycheck, but was in no way challenging him to better himself. Can we do the roll call? Because I want to talk about Ronnie, Thank Eric's you. immigrant security guard friend, because I have so many thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So as you just mentioned, our roll call is Chris Iyer, who plays Ronnie, a.k.a. RP. I have thoughts on Ronnie, but okay. I want to hear you first because you've been so gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Ronnie is um, a, an immigrant. I don't know his his nationality. It's not South Asian. Yeah, South Asian. Like it just it, something like that. He was an engineer in his former country. He came to the U.S. He's a security guard, and he's studying to get his engineering degree here in the U.S. For him, this security job position is a job to have while he's working towards his next thing, right? He is completely fine with it. He understands that, hey, you know what? These white people don't recognize my degree here. What the fuck ever? I'll go and get their white degree and pay them their white dollars so that I can be told that I know what I know. Um, Eric, on the other hand, is seeing this and he is under like when he got the security job position, he was like, dude, I got a badge. Like I am like I, I want to go back and talk about his like what he thought about when he became a security guard. Like I think he was expecting respect that he didn't get, which I think is yeah. so interesting. But for for his partner, it, it, it was really interesting to see this whole immigrant tale being told and how much more interesting Ronnie's story was compared to Eric. Um, But did you feel, I will say, did you feel that Eric, like I looked, I took a step back and I was like, I don't think Eric really learned anything from Ronnie's story because it's not like he's immediately bookend and encouraged to look into Feeney's SAT prep class because of Ronnie's dedication. It's almost as if Ronnie's like, hey, I'm working hard for what I can do. Respect isn't inherently given to me, even though I've accomplished before, I'm going to do the hard work that's necessary now. And Eric's like, huh, that's cool. Anyways, and then it it takes a later scene and a later um, conversations with Feeney and his parents that really is what gets him to 
and Corey and all of those things are what gets him to reassess this. But Ronnie's story didn't seem to have any effect on Eric. And I think it was like, what was the purpose of that other to show the audience how privileged Eric is? Ronnie had a really interesting line with Eric. They were, um, I guess they were patrolling John Adams High. I don't yeah. fucking know how Eric got this job as being like the school security guy. He's patrolling John Adams High with Ronnie. And Ronnie's like, you know, um, I was an engineer in my former country, but I'm studying because, you know, like, I don't mind. Like, th- this is whatever. Um, and Eric's is like, well, you're a s- security guy. And he's like, no, I'm an engineer. Like, it's just not uh, recognized. But in my heart, I'm an engineer. But you, you, like, Ronnie's insisting that Eric is the one who gets to live his dream of being a security guy. And when Eric's, like, questions it, Ronnie says, well, you're doing it. So you, this must be your dream. As if to say, you have every opportunity in the world to succeed white boy there's no reason for you to do anything less than what you want to do and i just thought that was a fascinating reveal that kind of got overlooked in the episode because what he's trying to imply is that eric you are given every privilege every chance you must want to do what you're doing (laughs) because there's no excuse for you to do anything else. And I thought that was just amazing. Agreed. And what you said in the middle of that is what my takeaway was, is that Eric completely missed that mark. Like, I agree that that's exactly what they were saying with Ronnie. And I loved that Ronnie was like, no, I'm an engineer. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't yourself, boy. I'm an engineer. I work. As a security card to pay the bills, but I myself am an engineer. And I thought that that is, as you said, very fascinating and so on point. But I don't feel like the way that the episode is laid out, that that went anywhere with Eric. I I think the purpose of it was to kind of show that the like the episode is trying to say like, hey, there's nothing wrong with having a job that you don't particularly want what's wrong is settling and not working for what you actually want even while you're working at the shitty job that you don't really care for i think that ronnie is this idea of just like hey yeah i have this job and i'm working towards something bigger and better whereas eric is like nope this is the bigger and better and i think that's why the show was threw ronnie in there because they really had no reason to throw ronnie in there other than to show that, like, hey, there is something more to strive for, Eric. Um, whether or not that's a good or bad message, because, again, I don't believe you need to go to college to be successful in life, um, is debatable. But I feel like that was Ronnie's role in this episode. Absolutely. And, again, for me, I watched it kind of bittersweetly because it's this, again, this narrative of white people you should appreciate what you have because it could be far worse you could be a person of color you know what i mean like like that's that's what ronnie's presence in the episode seemed to say you know and it could be so much worse <laughs> if you were proud you have no idea <laughs> but is that not what it what it's kind of saying again just by his yeah. presence being there and the idea <laughs> I mean, that's that's something else we should really acknowledge. That's Ronnie hilarious. Is, Ronnie is one of our very few <laughs> guest stars of color. And totally. when he is brought in, he's brought in as a motivational tale, you know? Hey, hey uh, listeners, I, I here's another question I have for you, because I wonder if immigrants are being typecast. I wonder if this whole idea of like, the immigrant story of coming here and having to work three times harder to get like halfway ahead. Like, is this something that every immigrant family deals with or is this an accurate depiction? Because sometimes I feel like it's kind of a, a lazy assertion of immigrants that they're all struggling to make it in America. And I, I just can't imagine that to be true. Well, so what I, in defense of this, episode, well, brown immigrants, let me say, say yeah. brown immigrants, <laughs> not my immigrants. You guys are fine. What I will say is as much as I'm like picking at the narrative of uh, Ronnie and Eric's dynamic, I will say that Ronnie is painted as very capable, 
He is constantly reminding that he is, in fact, an engineer. He is... He doesn't seem to be struggling with this job. As you said, he's more so using this job as a stepping stone. And he is also educating himself while trying to do it. But it is noteworthy to say that it had to be an immigrant's tale instead of just having, I don't know, a fellow white cop be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to night school and this is a transitional period. Or a Black person being like, hey, you know what? I went and I'm studying um, to better myself. And it, it doesn't always have to be someone from a different country that isn't valued here in America and therefore working their way up the, the ranks in order for a white person to understand how good they've got it. Does that totally. make sense? Totally. And you're, you're so right. Like, it's so interesting that they specifically chose an immigrant and not just a minority or just like, uh, uh, you know, a lower class white worker who was like, hey, I just want to better myself through night school. Here is this incredible man, this man who was working his absolute hardest, who has already done college once and is about to do college again, simply to just like, like live his dream and working the same exact job, getting the same exact money as him is some high school kid who never like applied himself, who was lazy as fuck and is like the same level. And that I think threw me off because I was just like, this guy is really, this guy is fascinating. Like this whole story, every immigrant story I hear, I think is really just brave and just full of courage and just tenacity. And just like, that is not Eric fucking at all. And maybe that's what the show wanted. They wanted that like tenacity to kind of rub off on him. So he would strive for more. But the idea that they, you know, they chose an immigrant versus like you said, like any other minority in America, just trying to get by is, is really interesting. I do want to talk a little bit about um, Alan's conversation with him about his like gloves that he put on the whole baby conversation. I definitely want to hear your response to it because my, my main issue with Alan, this episode is his willingness to take a step back and allow Amy to take the brunt of Eric's rage and displeasure. You know, it's not like it's ever physical, but he allows uh, Amy to be disrespected so he can maintain this friendship, so to speak. Wow, interesting. I did not get that. Okay, so what I saw in this episode was something I rarely see, which is a true character arc from Alan. I saw a guy who was presented with this information at the beginning of the episode going, hey, you coddle your son too much. He got defensive and he started thinking about it. And he was like, you know what? Fuck, you're right. I do. And this was the first time I saw, like, maybe not the first time, but one of the only times I see Alan just be like, dude, I did this wrong. I'm openly admitted that I'm doing this the wrong way. And I just thought it was, it was such a cool character arc for Alan to see him get to the point where he was like, I did this wrong. And I'm not going to talk to your mother about it. I'm not going to talk to Feeney about it. I'm talking to you, bro. Like, I did this wrong for you. I'm concerned that you can't make it because of the mistakes that I made. And I, again, anytime a father, mm-hmm. one, anytime a white man <laughs> just accepts accountability for their actions and the things that they may have just done wrong. I just, I have to just like praise it and give it praise into the universe in hopes that more of it will keep happening. Um, (laughs) But just, I think that that was just really interesting. No, no, I just wanted to say that I wasn't saying that Alan didn't have an arc. He absolutely did. And I think you're right. What's interesting is I believe, and I completely could be misremembering this, so forgive me, but I believe what is really the turn for him is when Eric is at the store the second time and he's like, oh no, this is mom's fault. And Alan's like, you really believe that? You honestly feel that she is the villain in this story. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. I fucked up. Like, like yeah. if you don't see discipline from your mother as a display of love, then it's because I definitely did something wrong. But what I'm saying is he doesn't do that in front of Amy when she's originally being dismissed by Eric. When Eric's totally. like, I don't answer to you, I answer to him. When... Right. 
Eric is like, hey, dad, what do you have to say about this? Even when Eric apologizes, he apologizes because he's come to the conclusion, not because his father said, hey, you owe your mother an apology. You should go back and respect my wife, your mother, and the owner of this company. That's what I'm saying. I feel that that is needed as a true father and leader, but instead they let Eric and Alan come to their own conclusions about it, and it all worked out, but I just would have really loved Alan to step up and defend Amy. That's it. I feel like I, I totally respect that outlook on it. That wasn't the impression I got at all while watching it, because to me, what I thought was happening... And I want to get your take on this too, was this idea that like Eric was reaching out for the parents that he felt like he was closer to. And this idea that like every kid has like one of their parents, like if you were fortunate enough to live in a, to have both parents in your life, there is one that you get along better with, that you have a better connection to, a better chemistry with than the other. And whether it be the the father or the mother, you're always going to look towards the one that you have the stronger connection to, to advocate for you in circumstances where you feel like you're being dismissed. And that's what I thought was happening more than this whole idea of honoring a patriarchy more than the matriarchy. And he specifically I, says, you're the mama. I don't work for the mama. And you're right. for the papa. And you're that's right. where I was like... Totally respectable. But I want to get your... eye. Like, do you have this... Uh, experience. Do you have a parent that you're closer to well, and that you, you feel like advocates for you more than the other? Advocates is going to be neither here nor there. For the most part, my mother raised me and then my father came along later. We all have a good, a better relationship now, especially that we're older. But yeah, there are plenty of times I will say that my father feels like left out of a conversation. Um, and I'm like, well, of course I'm going to defer to her she in in the span of my life she's been there more <laughs> you know what i mean Same. and <laughs> and i get that but even with that dynamic if i were to disrespect my mother in front of my father he would be like nah son you got me fucked up yeah. and equally if i'm dismissive of my father too quickly my mom's like no 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 that, as a matter of fact let's even consider that Let's consider the fact that when we watched Corey go through his little tirade against Alan at his birthday party, Amy was the first one to be like, hey, that's your father. And that's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is all Alan had to be like was turn and be like, hey, you will respect your mother. This is fascinating because what you're saying is that like it's not an issue of any parent specifically advocating for Eric. It's an issue of the parents advocating for each other. Supporting yes. each other. The fact yes. that Alan allows Amy to get the brunt of this aggression from Eric. I mean, I, I, I do feel like that one scene in the, in the center of the episode uh, where Alan kind of like, you know, admits that he made all these mistakes with Eric was him trying to say like, Eric, do not take this out on your mother. Take it out on me, which I thought was mature of Alan and not something I would have expected. Of him. Yeah, no, no, I agree. As I said, it's all done when Amy's not there. That's yeah. my whole, my whole, if, if you, anyone has any disagreement with me, I want you to understand that my only takeaway is she is not respected in the scenes that she's in. Totally. Any eureka moments, any epiphanies, any understanding of her value are all done either off screen or between the two men when she's not present. But if she's in the room, the best she gets is at the end of the episode, Eric comes back and he does say, hey, you were looking out for me. But we don't get her own husband being like, you know what? I should have stepped up and protected my own wife slash partner in life and business. <laughs> totally. That's um, all I'm saying. Yeah. And that's, a, that's an excellent point. Um, okay. So I before I move on to Sean and Corey Tupanga... <laughs> I want to talk about Eric saying that he's in law enforcement when he <laughs> becomes a security officer and this idea that he feels like, like he is disappointed at his parents' reaction when he's like, Hey, no, I'm servicing the community by becoming 
of uh, under the umbrella of law enforcement. Yeah. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I'm carrying heat. They're like, you get, they gave you a gun. He's like, no, no, it's like cold in here. But like, again, I love for me, it was kind of a commentary on how easily it is to become an authority figure in this nation. Like, let's just be honest. There isn't a lot of education required to become a cop. You do not need a degree to be a cop, period. Yeah, exactly. And you don't need um, any kind of formal education to be given a gun. Like, they make a joke about it, but I think that was only for ABC's sake. I think in a real-life way, he would have some kind of... Oh, he has a baton, so he's given some kind of weapon and is given power. They know that it's not earned. And I think that that is important. I wish they had said directly, you have not earned the power and the authority that comes with the responsibility of being a security guard. I wish that was like blatantly said, but instead it's just kind of the entire position is demeaned. Whereas I think that is, those are false equivalents. That's that's my take entirely. This idea that he... It's not the profession that should be demeaned. There's nothing wrong with being a fucking security guard. What's, what's wrong with being a security guard is not understanding, uh, you know, the intricacies of what it means to hold that kind of power. And I feel like you you talked about that perfectly and pretty much said every point that I want to make. So I'm not going <laughs> to dwell on it too much because I felt like what you said was really good and I, I feel the exact same way. Um, did you have anything else to say about Eric or Alan or this whole A-plot or anything? Honestly, I'm, for the most part, I'm done with the episode. Like, I feel like the Corey... Sean Topanga aspect is anything is more reinforcement of this idea of convincing someone the value of the SAT and higher education. Um, but whereas with Eric, it's like a hard fought road with Sean. It's almost like trickery. It's like, Hey, did, did we mention there'd be cake? <laughs> okay. So go ahead. That's that's just exactly what I wanted to say. I did not like that they gaslighted Sean that's taking these fucking SATs. <laughs> that they were just like, what are the ingredients of mud? What <laughs> water, dirt, or tur- turkey? Like that whole shit was so ridiculous in such like a dishonest way to get someone to take a test that they're clearly not prepared for. And I guess the reason why I have an issue with this is because it kind of echoes the way I feel about college. This idea of forcing something upon kids as the, it's the only outlet when they're not at a place in their life or they haven't been prepped enough, if they're not prepared enough, all of that shit. Like this idea of just not being honest about the world that's out there. Because in one storyline, the A storyline, Alan's like, hey, I did not prepare you for this world enough. And then the B storyline, they're purposefully not preparing Sean enough so that he will get into this. So it just seems like contradicting storylines, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up. I will say, like I said earlier, I felt like this episode was kind of all over the place with its... Uh, narrative thread because you do have that presentation, but you also have Feeney saying, hey, I don't want to gaslight you. I don't want you to think that this is going to be easy. I want you to understand that there will, like, in between the gallivanting, there's actually hard work involved. But he also buys a cake, which I thought was, like, really interesting. You I see? love that Feeney bought a fucking cake. Like, he's like, dude, if it's gonna get Sean in the college, like, I'm willing to go and get this dude a cake, which I just fucking loved. It wasn't even, like, a scene. It wasn't even, like, a... Like, you just... You look at Sean, he's just eating cake, and you knew that Feeney made that shit happen. And I, just, exactly. I thought that was great. But, I, I like, there, that was... That was a, a, a spark of joy for me. And then also the idea that... When Sean was like, well, what else? He's like, what, cake's not enough? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So um, either way, I will say that as far as I'm concerned, all of this, this whole pushing higher education, I think you and I are millennials. We're a lot bitter about the whole forced higher education, student debt thing. Hmm. But I will say the entire episode seems to be wanting to push someone into their full potential 
and not allowing them to take the easy road. And I think with both Eric and Sean, the show is painting a picture of two individuals who are way more intelligent than they give themselves credit for and therefore need to be pushed. But you and I are saying the direction that you're pushing them isn't necessarily the only route. And I think you're right that we kind of need to remember like the historical context of this and that college in the 90s isn't the same as college is now. College pre 9-11 was affordable, was it not? Like it uh, wasn't like a thing for profit, if, I, if I'm understanding this. My boyfriend went to college in the 90s and his experience vastly different. Like his entire education cost maybe two semesters of our education. So. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of shit that I like, I have to put in the context and remember that like at this time, it wasn't a fucking scam. and like it it genuinely was trying to better sean's life so i have to remember that um do you have any other thoughts do you have anything else you want to say about the episode anything else that you got not really because i'm excited to get into our homework for this okay all right so i really really uh the only thing i want to just add is that i always have uh what i refer to as a michael jacobs moment where (laughs) like um, the music kind of swells up and the character says something that's really like touching and sweet or whatever. Um, and this episode is one of the rare episodes that has two Michael Jacobs moments. One okay. in which um, Eric goes to Alan and he has that really touching thing where he's like, you know, you said that one day you're not going to be here, but I'm going to teach what you taught me to my kids. And so you're always going to be around. Oh, audience says music yeah. swells up touching moment. Okay, Definitely Michael Jacobs, I see you. And then at the end of the episode, there's a second one where Eric Kosafini, he's like, hey, I heard you said that to tell my parents that I was smart. That was worth a thousand SAT points. Music swells up and credits created by Michael Jacobs. You son of a bitch. You, <laughs> you weasel two of these moments in the one episode. And I think as far as I know, this is the first episode to do that. So that's just one of the things I want to point out. Yeah, I'll even echo you because and add in a third one, which is when Topanga, Sean, and Corey go to Feeney's doorstep and they're like, Yes, we understand why you were putting us through all of this. So I will say great moments, but I think the thing we're both kind of saying is that this episode was uneven, right? Yes, absolutely uneven. Great? Yeah, let's give it a great. What great do you got? Mm, I'm giving it like a B minus. This is, I feel like one of the weaker episodes of the season, simply because like you said, it's all over the place. The reason why it gets a B period is just because I, I, I really feel like there's some interesting character arcs. It, Alan learns a lot. Clearly Eric learns a lot. And we get Eric going from, I don't know what I want to do with my life to I'm going to college, which I think makes this episode important. So I'm Absolutely. giving it a B minus. I'm going to give it the exact same grade because I think that through our discussion, I actually was able to see a lot of parallels. I was able to see the parallels of Eric and Sean both needing that push in order to take the SATs and the idea of Amy's tough love with Eric is also Feeney's tough love with his class. And both of them is what led them to perform better than they thought they could. So I think there is kind of mirroring mirroring in storytelling and it totally deserves that B minus grade. 100%. Let me hear your homework suggestions. You're excited excited to hear about it. Let's get into it. Homework. So I do not know if you told me about this before, but I will say that I just watched seasons one and two of the show called Rami on Hulu. Amazing, bro. Have you seen it? I've seen season one. I haven't seen season two yet, but I have to say as someone who is marrying into a Middle Eastern family, watching this with someone who is like Jordanian was amazing because she was cracking up at shit that I just was not getting and explaining. Like I learned so much about my future wife <laughs> by watching <laughs> this episode with her and like these, the season with her because she was just like, she was giving me nuance into like her own life and this whole idea of what it means to be a Middle Eastern immigrant in America. And I just found it all fascinating. And I just, I love that you recommended it because I haven't seen season two yet, but it's all my to-do list. So I watched seasons one and two and my best friend, 
friend is um, a Turkish immigrant and he was like, it's not quite one for one, but he was like, the similarities are so amazing. It's a, we were just talking about Ronnie in this episode and his story and how it's so much more, so much more interesting. And that's why I wanted to talk about Rami because it was such a fascinating look to me. Most importantly, when you really boil it down, I was like, this is the story of any and every 20-year-old slacker in America you've ever seen. But the difference is that he's Muslim and that is a really big difference. And it's interesting to see both the similarities and the hypocrisy, but also the intent and the culture and the community and all of these things that I really did feel like I was learning for the first time, but also I felt that I could empathize with and find parallels in any story of people of color in this country. Uh, Also, it's really funny because there are moments where his parents are racist like towards jewish people or racist towards black people his mother one episode just straight up tells a black girl you should get extensions and you look more like beyonce if you lightened your skin a little bit and you're like whoa woman what are you doing but you know her intentions are are well-meaning however just as wrong and i thought that that was a great thing to watch and understand of how being in America makes you part of this whole cultural experiment and to see it from a different perspective than you actually usually see was very fun for me. And, and, and the other thing I love about Remy, and I'm just going to go ahead and make this my, my homework too. Um, <laughs> it's just that I love that one, we're seeing a character that's trying to be religious. That's not scoffing at religion. I'm not a religious person, but I understand that most people in the world are. So that's to have uh, a protagonist that's actually trying to, um, you know, live a religious life feels like a, a perspective that's foreign in America when it really shouldn't be. Um, just because it's, it's the experience of so many people, especially Muslim culture, which is the most popular religion in the world. So again, just for America to finally get a glimpse at this culture that, you know, since proposing to my, 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 um, you know, Arabic girlfriend, uh, I've had to kind of understand the nuances of too and understand the relationships of, uh, of, you know, Jews versus, uh, you know, Muslims in Israel and, and on all these things. Like I really getting into the nuances of it. And, and this show is like a great, like opener. It's like a great, like, Hey, let's introduce you to this in a very Americanized way. Um, because the more I'm looking into the Middle East, the more I'm realizing how much American influence has played a part in the Middle East. And, that's something that has to be understood to understand our present historical landscape. So um, I'm going to go ahead and fucking just give up my homework and also just echo (laughs) watch Rami. I'm going to be watching season two now that Siege brought it up. And um, yeah, I support that. It's yeah. You'll really enjoy season two. um, And I don't want to give too much away, but it's just a really fun, as you said, this idea of learning about other cultures and also just as like a, a sense of atmosphere of the directing. I felt like it was very much like Master of None. Totally. In its storytelling. And uh, if you liked that show, I think you would love this as well. So either way, that's our homework. 100%. <laughs> yeah, that's Seasons it. one and two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you guys for listening to Brown Meets World. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all of the places. Make sure that you leave us a rating. Keep giving us your feedback. I have gotten so much interaction with you guys on twitter and instagram reddit we are in all the places and we love getting your feedback you guys are vocal and have a lot of opinions (laughs) Uh, and we love them all i also just want to say like i know me and siege are very expressive about our beliefs and the things that we say um we're open to debates we're open to conversations but don't clog up our social media trying to get us voting for trump or any of that bullshit that's been <laughs> happening we're not voting for trump period i, I just wondered, to throw that out there <laughs> i was wondering if you were talking about that comment and yeah sort of that dude who's like just Anyway, I saw it and I was like, dude, I don't know why you're still talking. Because oh, we've already been. person is trying to convince black people that Trump's done more for black people. Bro, we need the, to have a. It's not. No, no. The moment no, no, he, no. The <laughs> moment he brought up Candace Owen, I was like, oh, 
I, I don't have to talk to you at all. <laughs> you, you, you just don't get it. And I need you to trust us when we say that. Um, but anyway. if you guys have any other thoughts about this specific Boy Meets World episode, if you've been the older sibling and you have a perspective of it, if you didn't get into college right away and you had to retake the SATs and you have a perspective of it, if you were closer to one parent than the other, let us know your connection to this episode. We'd love to hear it. Boy Meets World, one of the reasons why we chose the show is because me and Siege found so many personal applications uh, through the lessons taught through this series. And so we'd love to hear how this episode affected you. Um, you can find me on Instagram at a braver me at dot braver dot me. Um, anything else? You can find me on Twitter at I am not your Oreo, or you can find any one of us at uh, bro meets world at gmail.com. Also bro me- at bro meets world or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places that we mentioned before. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're just going to sign out and say, remember to dream, try, and do some good. I uh, do better. I'm just going to change it. <laughs> I would change do good to do better for 2020, guys, because we all need to look into ourselves and do a little bit better. Well, remember, do good is supposed to be do some good, put some good out into the world. But I think we can all be better at doing good. <laughs> 100%. 100%. All right. All right later, later, bros. Later, bros.